Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. Kua Joe Portaraho. This week we discuss the appointment of Raylene Castle as Chief Executive of Sport New Zealand and the direction she wants to take. Is it good for community and high-performance sport? Do those areas complement each other or are they at odds? And where should Sport New Zealand's focus be? Does club sport need to be given priority over winning international events? And how does the organisation address the declining participation numbers, especially among teenagers? We also hear from the New Zealand Women's Rugby League team ahead of their clash with Samoa and Kiwi driver Hayden Padden reveals his electric rally car. Joining me this week are sports columnist Hamish Bidwell, Labour MP and former Blackfern and Silverfern Louisa Wall and the head of the Amateur Sports Association Gordon Noble-Campbell. The former head of Netball New Zealand, the Canterbury Bulldogs and Rugby Australia, Raylene Castle, has been named the new Chief Executive of Sport New Zealand. She replaces Peter Miskimmon, who has been in charge at the government agency for the past 12 years. Castle told Clay Wilson while being the first female to hold the country's top sports administration job was an honour. Her focus was simply on doing a good job. I don't ever look at a job opportunity and think, oh, do you want to apply for that? Because that would make me the first female into that role. Um, that's the way it's turned out. What I do know, though, is that I get stopped in the street a lot by young uh, women who say to me, listen, you know, I believe it's possible now. So I've seen you do it, and now I believe it's possible um, to do the role that I really want to do. And so when you see that and you realise that you can inspire young women, that's, um, that makes it really special. You had seven years in Australia and you obviously faced a number of challenges over there. How do you think you have changed and what were the main lessons you took away from your your time in Australia? I haven't changed but my experience has changed. So I think I'm certainly more robust and you know the positive half glass full I want to look to drive some outcomes uh, type of person I am hasn't changed but what has the experience over that seven years and facing the challenges that you mentioned um, has meant that I understand sometimes more quickly how to get to the right answer or the right questions to ask or perhaps even stop a situation like that evolving because you'd see it coming at you earlier so you know experience is an important thing and I've certainly gained a lot more very sports specific experiences over the last seven years. With those sort of things in mind, you're coming into this role at a time where Sport New Zealand faces a number of challenges of its own. Do you think it's been sort of the perfect springboard into a job like this? Yeah, I hope so. And I certainly think the board, that's what the board saw as well, that opportunity and experience to uh, get involved when the time's right in those issues and start to, to have a look. The sporting landscape in this country is, is wide and deep and you're always going to have your fair share of issues that are going on. So... For every issue, there's also some people that are doing great work and delivering some really good outcomes. So we also have to make sure we celebrate and focus on those. But, uh, you know, I certainly hope and believe my experience will help when we do face those issues, which inevitably we will. Of those challenges, have you been able to establish yet what your priorities are going to be in terms of what you want to address initially, especially? 
Well, I think there's a strategic plan in place uh, which has been well thought through, and that's about an aspiration to have everybody active, so everyone in New Zealand have an active and healthy lifestyle. We do have drop-off in participation numbers once young people, particularly girls, but young people get to that 13, 15 sort of age group, so how can we get them to stay in sport longer? So that's an incredibly important focus for me. And the second thing is that we all work together as a sports sector, Um, and that we uh, think about how we can be more effective in delivering uh, more widely across New Zealand. When it comes to COVID, there seems to be a certain sentiment among some in the sports community around club sport needing to be made more of a priority and perhaps high-performance sport needing to take something of a back seat. Do you think that that's what needs to happen here, that we need to put more of a focus on club sport and high-performance sport perhaps needs to come back a bit from where it has been? Uh, No, I don't think so. I think it's both. I don't think you can afford to not focus on high performance sport because I think, you know, that saying if you see it, you can be it. Um, That's the aspiration that gets New Zealanders out of bed and it it makes us proud to wear a black singlet and a silver fern. But there is no doubt that community sport plays an incredibly important part in New Zealand environment and bringing communities together and having that hub and connection. So I don't think we should be thinking about the trade-off, less of one or more of the other and vice versa. We should be thinking about making sure we're spending our resources effectively um, to deliver the outcomes for both of those and make sure we're getting to the the outcomes um, so that both can be successful. You're going to start in just over a month. Any kind of perhaps review you want to undertake to to ensure that the the organisation is heading in the direction that you want it to be heading in? Uh, No, I've committed to a lot of listening for the first few weeks. I think that's important, meeting with all of the stakeholders across the play, active recreation and sports sectors um, so that they can give me their perspectives of where um, they are, also the internal Sport New Zealand staff, the Sport New Zealand board, um, and I'll get a thousand different opinions and there'll be some that are consistent and that will start to give me a sense of where the important uh, pieces are for for us to focus on as an organisation. Raylene Castle there, who takes over as CEO at Sport New Zealand on the 15th of next month. OK, we've all had a listen to what Raylene has had to say. I guess we'll start with you, Gordon. What do you make of Raylene's comments? And I guess where do you see the future of Sport New Zealand? Obviously, a focus on high performance and community. Where do you think that balance should lie? I think there is a huge uh, need for a refocus on community sport and how it's delivered to uh, New Zealanders. As uh, I'm sure all of our listeners will be aware, our local community clubs are responsible largely for the delivery of sport and are suffering from fewer volunteers and less available funding. Whilst um, there isn't a trade-off per se between high-performance sport and community sport, uh, the Amateur Sport Association really thinks there needs to be a bit of a rebalancing to ensure that how these two parts of sport coexist is appropriately resourced and ensures that we have a vibrant and growing community aspect to all of our national games. Hamish, I know you feel strongly about uh, community sport and club sport and how that's been treated by Sport New Zealand in in the past. Yeah, well, not to beat my own drum, I deliver community sport in the town where I live. Um, We haven't had a junior career club in 12 years and I've set one up. We've got five teams playing this weekend and I've done that in the last couple of three months um, off my own bat. Um, Sport New Zealand, I don't know what they do. I don't know how they help communities. I couldn't give a toss about them, to be perfectly frank. Like, if you work for NZ Rugby or Netball or Cricket, then I have a vague idea. What, what does Sport New Zealand do? We're describing Raylene Castle as the top sports administrator in the country. I don't know what Sport New Zealand does. And I've worked in the sports industry my whole life. Sport has been my entire life. I'm involved at community level, been involved professionally. I have no idea what they do. I have no faith in what they do. I have no interest in what they do. I just think it's a complete waste of time. I can't believe we're even talking about Raylene's appointment. I think we should be talking about the organisation and what it actually delivers 
and how it affects New Zealanders because it has no impact on my life. There's no impact on the lives of the people where I live. It's just a, an organisation that we hear about that we don't have any interest in, don't have any knowledge of, and we just disregard. I have no idea what they do. I don't know what part of the sport they're meant to be involved in or what they're actually involved in. I genuinely have no idea what they do. Gordon, you might be able to enlighten us a little bit here. What is Sport New Zealand's role when it comes to delivering community sport and club sport? Well, firstly, it is a Crown agency and the government is keen to try and help community sport as best as it can in terms of its broader policy agenda. But the reality is, uh, and I tend to agree uh, with some of the comments that have been made, that how effectively that's being delivered is an open question at the moment. And right now, Raylene has a great opportunity to review that infrastructure and ask the hard questions. How effectively are we supporting sport communities across New Zealand? How are we getting the resources to where they're needed most? And as evidenced by the National Sport Club survey that the Amateur Sport Association has just completed for 2020, members are falling, sport clubs are losing money. We need to do more to, to, to provide support. And Sport New Zealand, as the government's agency, needs to do better in this space. But does Raylene have that opportunity? These these roles, to me, are symbolic. They're ceremonial. You are pictured doing stuff. You appear on programs and you talk about stuff. But what does the CEO actually do? They're merely just there as the figurehead of a comp- of an organisation where all the decisions are made lower down, surely. I think one of the big things to focus on is that number of $265 million that the government has promised to deliver to sports. Where does where it go? Where does it go? I, I don't want to hear about these things. We've pledged this much money to such and such. Well, show me. Give me the money. Let's see the money. There's all this exactly. talk. There's all this puffery. Nothing ever actually happens. These are industry discussions that industry people are having. But in the real world where I live, we don't have any faith in these people. We don't have any contact with these people. It's just for it's just for show. It's seriously, it doesn't impact anyone's life actually. Well, then how do we move forward? Louisa, you're pretty qualified to speak on this. You've been a silver fern, a black fern. You're an MP involved with your community and many, many areas outside of sport as well. How do you think we can move forward? How does Raylene address some of the issues that Hamish has brought up? Oh, look, I think um, Raylene's going to appreciate listening to people like Hamish and Gordon. Uh, The reality is she's come out pretty clearly and said Sport New Zealand can't deliver sport. And their job is to collaborate with the people that do uh, and invest in them to provide the opportunities that we want our children and actually all of us to have to play sport, to be involved in active recreation. And obviously for a small number of us, Uh, we do end up going uh, to the Olympics and to international events to represent our country. I mean, I think the question that we're all asking each other is the current balance right? Um, I think within the context of COVID, we have to acknowledge that uh, through the loss of gaming money, uh, there has been less of an investment in community sport this year. Uh, The fund that the government has announced, um, I think it is invested in the right place. It is looking at Uh, the community aspect of sport. Um, But I think it is really an opportunity for us to look at um, the partners that are needed to deliver on the ground, which are not only government, but local councils and access to facilities. Uh, And obviously the people that Hamish uh, represents, which are the passionate, diehard sports people uh, who just want opportunities to play. But for me, uh, more importantly, is for our young people uh, to grow up active, Um, and uh, pursue lifelong kind of objectives around it. And it's quite fascinating because if you look at Sport New Zealand's vision, it's very simple. They want everybody to be active. And I think if we mobilise around that kaupapa or that mission, 
uh, then we all should be working together and not, uh, I guess, fighting with one another in terms of competing for, for young people to play our particular code. Louisa and Gordon, then how does Sport New Zealand and all the other national organisations, I guess, address the declining numbers, participation numbers at both adult, but particularly at teenage level and among young women? Well, I mean, that's actually um, a very complicated issue. And UNESCO have actually just come out this morning and highlighted um, bullying uh, of our young people. So one in three um, young people are bullied and one in ten are cyberbullied. Uh, and particularly for young people uh, and young women, we're talking about um, fat shaming, weight shaming, uh, and, and young girls, believe it or not, from the age of six, um, be, begin to be worried about their bodies. And so the depictions of people who play sport, um, the involvement of media and, and normalising women playing sport, not just at an elite level, I think there are different dimensions now, um, and we all have a responsibility uh, to make sure we're starting to address um, some of these issues. I know uh, through the work that the New Zealand Olympic Committee have done with um, our previous Olympians, some of them have talked about uh, the issues of fat shaming um, and body shaming and what they're supposed to look like. Um, but also we have issues of, of sexual abuse that are starting to um, emerge within our sporting context. So I think, um, you know, probably a focus more on safe sports and how we provide... Uh, opportunities um, actually for young people to play what they want. It might not necessarily be organised sports, but it might be a segue uh, through enabling them uh, to do things that um, traditionally we have encountered as sport, like dance or aerobics or things like that. So that's my five cents worth at the moment. Gordon, as the head of amateur sport, what would you like to see? Well, I think there's three things that need to happen. Firstly, we need strong community organisations delivering sport. And that goes back to my earlier comments and Hamish's comments around the role of clubs, families and communities in providing positive experiences for young people to stay involved in whatever that sport they might have an interest in. That's number one. Number two is that every young person needs to be recognised, given opportunity and be provided with an incentive to be involved. And what we're lacking in the current narrative at the present point in time are some of those particular reasons. It's all well and good to say that if you can see it, you can be it. But to be perfectly blunt, for most of our youth, they are not going to be all blacks. They are not going to be black ferns, but they are hopefully going to be positive contributors to their communities as adults in the sporting environment. And finally, just on that, the third thing that needs to happen is that involving the national sport organisations as well, and I know that many have started to have more of this focus, is to foster a genuine love of the game, play for the game's sake, rather than have other agendas or other, uh, perhaps in some cases, unrealistic expectations and academy structures and so on and so forth placed on youth, which creates pressure and a disincentive to stay involved in the game. I just don't like to hear about what these organisations are going to be doing, or I don't like us to get so wrapped up in the fact that we've appointed a new chief executive and they're going to do this, because actually I don't believe they're going to do anything. I want to see less talking. I want to see less pretense about what people are going to do. I just want people to get on and do it. And you talked about, Gordon was talking about a love of the game and that. My dream, my absolute dream, is that some of the children I've coached in cricket and rugby will coach children themselves one day, that that the love of the game that we've tried to give them will last through their life until they actually coach their own children and pass on that love and that we just get this groundswell of people contributing and loving sport. That's what I want, and I want less talk. I want less pledges of hollow pledges. I just want people to have an opportunity to play and to enjoy it. That's all I want, and less of this 
you know, championing of the professional level because I just don't think that's real sport. I don't think it's uh, achievable for most people. And I just, I just think that, you know, if they can't fund themselves, then why should we be having to put our hands in the pocket to, um, to make their dreams and financial, you know, situations a reality? How do you think we can stem the flow of players leaving sports, especially in their early teenage years as they get to high school? How do you think you can stop the lowering of the participation numbers. What do you think was the best tactic to encourage new players into the game and keep the players they've currently got staying in the game? Well, the, the staying in the game part is, to me, is about um, the high performance. There's too much emphasis on results. There's too much emphasis on achievement of being the best. There's not enough emphasis on just enjoyment and playing sport because it's fun, because it's good for you, because it gives you um, a, a, a collegial environment to be a part of and to enjoy. I just think that's the most important thing. If we put the emphasis on outcomes. I mean, I'm not one of these people who says, let's not keep the score or let's not have a player of the day. Have those things, sure. But let's let's not tell children that they're failures because at 10 they can't do something. They will want, they will not want to play at that point. Just give them the opportunity and some skills to work with and the opportunity to be part of something and to belong and, and, and to enjoy things. That's, that's, that's how you keep people involved and stuff. Can I, can I just join in here? Um, I, I agree with Hamish, actually, uh, to a degree. Uh, we used to have the Hillary Commission, uh, and it, I was a member of the Hillary Commission back in the day uh, after I'd retired as a Blackburn, and there was a bigger emphasis on, on play and enjoyment. Um, I think uh, that schools used to be a lot more active, ensuring our kids um, had opportunities um, to play. I mean, some of the things that Professor Sarah Lieberman has highlighted uh, are little things like even the uniforms and the differences between boys and girls and not being able to bike to school, for example. Uh, but Hamish is right, that positive first experience is so vital. Um, and the comradeship, the sense of teamwork that we develop through sport. I mean, I, I think the value of that is our country. Um, we have moved away from the Hillary Commission vision uh, to more of a Sport New Zealand um, elitist vision and actually I did a little bit of research so in 2000 um, in Sydney we invested 10 million dollars in our Olympic team uh, in Rio we spent 158.6 million uh, and there's a projection that for Tokyo we will we will invest 250 million now I think it is a good time to look at the balance of investment um, and whether or not uh, our aspiration internationally um, has compromised um, the base. I mean, we, we as sports people can only get to the top because when we were kids, like I was, uh, we were able to play netball or soccer or rugby or whatever it was uh, as five-year-olds. Um, and unless the base is secure, uh, it's pretty fragile at the top at some stage. And I think we have come to a tipping point. Um, but I disagree. I think Raylene coming in, provides that opportunity for a reassessment. And I think she'll be more than talk, actually, Hamish. I have a lot of faith in here. Joe, if I can just throw in something uh, there. Uh, Sport New Zealand has, has a very broad mandate. Everybody active, I think, is the catch cry. Yeah. But the reality is, if we want stronger communities, if we actually want to address some of the poverty and equity issues in communities, if we want greater participation from youth, in sport in our communities, then we need to be investing and supporting the local community infrastructure. Hamish's club, of course, he doesn't have a need for immediate financial resources. There are plenty that do. There are 138 community sport clubs incorporated that have been dissolved by the registrar since 1 January, principally because they haven't filed financial accounts 
many still operating in an unincorporated status. There is a lot more to be done, and it's clear and present and evident in, in terms of the area where the attention is required. Gordon, Louisa, Hamish, thank you very much for such a robust discussion. Very interesting, and it will be very interesting to see what happens under Raylene Castle's stewardship at Sport New Zealand. Thank you again for joining us. Moving to Rugby League, the new Kiwi Ferns captain, Crystal Rota, will be leading an inexperienced side against Fetu Samoa in the New Zealand team's only international rugby league match this year. Saturday's game at Mount Smart Stadium in Auckland is part of the Pacific Women's Doubleheader, which kicks off with the Tonga women squaring off against Nui. Rota sees this week's campaign as the starting point for next year's World Cup in the United Kingdom. I never thought I'd get this opportunity to be the captain of our countryside. I'm pretty ecstatic and excited about it. And were you surprised? Did you see it coming? No, I didn't see it coming actually. I was very surprised. Yeah, when I got the call up to see if I'd accept being captain, I sort of was speechless at first. I was like, oh my gosh, is this for real? Pinching myself. So yeah, I wasn't expecting it, but I'm so um, grateful and honoured to get this role. And there are like 11 new faces in your team. What advice are you giving them? Yeah, there's 11 debutants and a lot of them are actually quite fresh to rugby league. Um, but one thing with new players coming into the side is that the, their willingness to learn. So even at training today, I could see, you know, they were all ears and um, just hungry to learn and we've got great coaches. So I think my advice to them would be to just soak up everything that the coaches are, you know, giving them and just trusting in the processes and I think everything will fall into place for them. Given that you don't know necessarily how many games you get ahead of the World Cup, is it quite important all this time that you are having to get in now? Oh, it's extremely important and, um, you know, like we discussed earlier, there's 11 debutants, so um, there's a lot for us to learn in the short um, time frame leading up to this um, game this weekend, but leading into the World Cup um, this time together is important that we start building the foundation to move forward next year for the uh, World Cup. You would have normally played for the Warriors. How have you found playing here? Yeah, it's very different. Um, obviously, the domestic competition yeah, is a different level to the NRL, but I think that, you know, staying back was, you know, a, the best decision for myself, and I did miss the experience of going with the Warriors girls, but I just think, um, you know, the time duration that was required to go just wasn't suitable for me and my family, for my children especially. So, yeah, it was a missed opportunity, but to be honest, staying back was a blessing because there's been um, a lot of other great things in footy that I've been able to achieve through the domestic competitions. Given that most of the girls will be coming from the domestic competition, is that then that next step up to, say, international level? Yeah, it, it is going to be a massive step up for some of those girls because with the domestic competitions we had the championship and then we had the premiership and a lot of the girls are from the championship but I just think that the, the three coaches that we have are amazing coaches, they've been out to um, watch all the footy that we've had at the domestic competition and they've obviously seen talent in these girls. With their coaching knowledge um, I trust you know that they've picked the best players to do the job and I know that they've been out there watching and selected on form which is something that's really important and I, I know that's happened this campaign so yeah it is going to be a massive step up for those girls but I think they're up for the challenge. That was Kiwi Fern Crystal Rota speaking with Felicity Reid and you're listening to Extra Time. Motorsports fans will get their first full viewing of Hayden Patton's new electric rally car next week. Patton has spent 18 months developing the Hyundai Kona EV at his base in Cromwell, one of the first electric rally cars in the world. The former World Rally Championship driver hopes to be competing in it by the second half of next year. Patton says while he hasn't yet dropped pedal to the metal, he is happy with the car's performance. Yeah, obviously very early stages. We've just done a little bit of driving for some filming days, but uh, yeah, straight out of the box, no problems at all. Um, very balanced, very easy. It's got a lot of potential, and uh, as I say, we haven't even uh, 
started working on it uh, extensively yet. So, um, yeah, really excited uh, for the future of it. You talk about potential, but, you know, do you think um, it's it, you've got something there? Oh, 100%. We already know we've got more acceleration, which is, of course, natural from the, the EV technology. So we've got the acceleration. We know we've got a, a much better roll centre in the car, so stability is much greater. Uh, and then the potential of the, of the electronics uh, is huge, um, and that's very, very exciting. So um, 100% that the car will be faster. So this development over the next sort of year, perhaps, is that reliability? Uh, more performance. Um, reliability is not such an issue because there's so little moving parts in the car that you know we actually have a lot of um, strength and reliability, and it's just more going through the, all the computers, the software, making the torque vector and work, the brake regeneration, um, all those elements. What about into the future in competition when you're in the middle of the, of nowhere? People are going to ask, how do you charge your electric car? Uh, yeah, we're focused on battery changes. Um, so that's been our design philosophy that we can change the battery very quickly. So obviously when you go to an event, you evaluate uh, the, the length of stages and, and the groups of stages that you have to do and, and choose the power modes that are appropriate in the car. Um, and then, of course, very similar to when you put fuel in a car, you'll come to your midday service and Instead of doing that, you'll just uh, simply take out the battery and put a new one in. And those batteries, I mean, I'm assuming they're quite heavy, so you've managed to sort of overcome weight issues? Uh, yeah, they are heavy. You know, the weight of this car with the prototype battery is about 100 kilos more than the combustion, but the balance uh, of where that weight is and everything is, is um, far superior. Uh, you know, as I say, very low centre of gravity, very central weight. So from an engineer's uh, point of view, it's like a, a dream uh, in terms of a car design, so... Um, that sort of counters some of that extra weight. So when will the fans get to see it in action, perhaps? Yeah, we're looking forward to uh, a public debut uh, or demonstration with the car at Jacks Ridge uh, event next Sunday. So it'll just be a demonstration, but it'll be a good chance to get out there so people can see it and, and hear it and, and feel it. New Zealand rally driver Hayden Patton talking to Barry Guy and Jacks Ridge at Whitford near Auckland as a part of the City of Auckland rally next weekend. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time. My thanks to Hamish Bidwell, Louisa Wall and Gordon Noble-Campbell. I'm Joe Porter. Mihi more inayane. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.